TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Attention. A curfew is in effect at 1800 hours until 600 hours tomorrow. All individuals must leave the U.S. Capitol grounds or be subject to arrest. I repeat. How will history remember January 6th? 2021. Madam Speaker, the Vice President, and the United States Senate. It was, of course, the day Joe Biden's electoral victory over Donald Trump for the presidency became official. Joseph R. Biden Jr. of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. But It was the hours between those two moments on Capitol Hill a year ago that will be forever etched in our collective memories as the Capitol riot of 2021. You know, January 6th was unthinkable, just like 9-11 had been unthinkable. You know, how could a violent mob be allowed to so easily invade the U.S. Capitol terrorize members of Congress and their staff, break into the Senate chamber and the Speaker's office, all in a violent attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. You know, how could this happen in America? We all know what happened that day. That's because the riot inside and outside the U.S. Capitol was certainly the most videotaped insurrection in the history of America. The revolution was actually televised. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We are coming on the air right now with breaking news because the U.S. Capitol has been placed on lockdown as angry protesters surround the building. We should note that the House... But a story you may not know is about the loose band of digital detectives who have spent the better part of last year helping authorities round up hundreds of those who took part and got away last year. Some call these amateur investigators... The insurrection hunters. You know, there's a it's a comes from a wide array of backgrounds, people from all over the country, and in fact, there are people overseas involved in this, American and otherwise. Um, I think that you know the common thread here is that people were basically just really outraged by what happened on January 6th, and were sort of frustrated in those initial days that basically that no one was arrested. This week on Connect the Dots, tracking down the Capitol rioters why we must never forget, and... I think if, if we don't uh, have a history that looks at this as, as something really wrong and a, and a moment where uh, the democracy has to correct itself, then we have a problem because 
Uh, that was just the beginning and it created a foundation for this to happen again or worse. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey, a weekly podcast where we draw together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. You're listening to CBS News coverage here on WCBS 880. I remember that day well because I was on the radio that afternoon last year. Pro-Trump protesters have stormed the Capitol building in D.C. They breached the building. The House and Senate floor were both cleared, evacuated. One of those I spoke to on January 6th, right in the middle of the rioting, was Congressman Richie Torres, a New York Democrat from the Bronx. Torres was sworn into Congress just that week. This was his third day on the job. Tell us first, are you safe and okay? I am. I'm in a safe room for members. I obviously cannot disclose where I am, but I'm safe at the moment. The protesters have breached the Capitol steps, have stormed into the Capitol to the point of disrupting uh, the presidential vote count, uh, which has been placed on hold at the moment. Um, but this, this is a you know, dangerously uncharted and unprecedented situation. That was me speaking to Congressman Torres a year ago. This is me speaking to the congressman this year about how things look a year later. And when we spoke to you on January 6th, you were in a secure location trying to tell us what was happening. And it was in a pretty scary situation. So I wanted to ask you, did you realize at that time how scary or dangerous that situation could have been, knowing what we know now, how deep the rioters got into the chambers and into the offices? Well, I came to realize how dangerous it was as the insurrection unfolded in real time. Um, You know, it was my first week as a member of Congress, my third day on the job, and I was waiting in my office when all of a sudden the Capitol Police barged inside, directing my staff and me to immediately evacuate. And then I was left wandering through the maze of tunnels that connect to the U.S. Capitol. And in the beginning, I had no sense of what was going on, but I saw a scene of panic and pandemonium that was almost reminiscent of the scene during 9-11. I had the same sense of shock that I felt during 9-11. You know, I could not, once, once I realized direction unfolding, I, I could not wrap my head around what was happening. I could not believe what was happening. You know, January 6th, was unthinkable, just like 9-11 had been unthinkable. You know, how could a violent mob be allowed to so easily invade the U.S. Capitol, terrorize members of Congress and their staff, break into the Senate chamber and the Speaker's office, all in a violent attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election? You know, how could this happen in America? And now, as we look back a year later, what stays with you most about living through that day? Well, on a human level, there are members of Congress and congressional staffers who continue to struggle with post-traumatic stress nearly a year after the insurrection. But broadly speaking, for me, January 6th is a wake-up call that we as a country can no longer take for granted the survival and success of liberal democracy in America. You know, Ben Franklin once said, 
that the United States is a republic if you can keep it. And for the first time in modern American history, you know, whether we can keep the republic has become an open question. Even after the insurrection, half of the Republican conference still voted to decertify the Electoral College. I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. It was right at that point that the mob was arriving at the Capitol from the nearby Stop the Steal rally, encouraged by the words of a number of Republican leaders, including the president. When we spoke to Congressman Torres this week, he told us it's one thing to express displeasure. Which is the right of every American. But it's something else to violently invade the U.S. Capitol, which is the temple of our democracy, and terrorize members of Congress and intimidate those members of Congress from certifying the results of the election. That's not protest. That's an insurrection. That's an assault on our democracy. And for me, it's outrageous that there continue to be congressional Republicans who deny the results of the 2020 election who deny the reality of the insurrection, who refuse to accept the legitimacy of Joe Biden as president. And if the truth and the peaceful transfer of power become disposable, then America, the American Republic, is left with no foundations on which to stand. So are you concerned then about extremism in America, even on a more local level, you know, an attack on the Capitol might not happen again anytime soon, but that kind of extremism as it goes throughout the country? I worry about the spread of extremism in America, which has been percolating for a long time. Um, And I worry that the extremists feel emboldened by members of Congress who deny the insurrection who deny the results of the election. You know, I, I, I worry most about the elected officials who aid and abet or incite extremism. You know, to that point, do you think that you can make sure and those you work with can make sure that the work of the congressional investigation into the riots doesn't just become another political circus, just a bipartisan fight that will be viewed as some? as something that's just partisan and leading up to the midterms? Well, keep in mind, you know, I serve as vice chair of the Homeland Security Committee, and the Homeland Security Committee originally passed legislation that would have established a January 6th commission modeled after the 9-11 commission, which is the gold standard of bipartisanship. It would have had both Republican and Democratic members which shared subpoena power, which shared investigative power. And that was rejected by Republicans in both the House and the Senate. So instead, we have the January 6th committee. Uh, The January 6th committee is bipartisan. Uh, It's co-led by uh, Congress member Liz Cheney, who's a Republican, and uh, Benny Thompson, who's a Democrat. He's the chair of the Homeland Security Committee and the chair of the January 6th committee. And I'm confident that the committee is professional enough to go wherever the facts lead them. It has to be guided by the facts. The purpose of the January 6th committee has to be to find out who knew what when, what were the facts leading up to and surrounding January 6th. 
Uh, and if there are members of Congress who aided and abetted the insurrection, then those members should be held accountable because no one is above the law. January 6th was certainly something on, on my radar because uh, obviously I covered sort of this Stop the Steal movement. But HuffPost justice reporter Ryan Riley could never have predicted that he'd spend the next year covering the largest dragnet in U.S. history. As it stands today, uh, at the anniversary, we're at over 700 arrests by the FBI. But based on what sleuths have placed together, the total universe of actual defendants or potential defendants is actually approaching near 3,000. Nearly 2,500 people entered the Capitol, and then there's an additional group of hundreds of people who attacked officers outside or destroyed media equipment or chased down journalists outside uh, who have yet to be arrested. So there's a significant path ahead, and that comes at a point where really the federal court system in D.C. is pretty overwhelmed already with these cases. They're already seeing double the caseload that they see in a typical year, you know, this isn't this isn't a, a courtroom that's used to this sort of this sort of density in terms of cases. So I think that's something that's going to be a challenge going forward as they try to funnel even more cases into the pipeline. They're hitting up against this lingering issue with just basically the courtroom and the courthouse being overwhelmed already. So that's really going to benefit, I think, defendants ultimately because, frankly, they can't afford to bring all these cases to trial. They sort of have to churn through them. So I think that that is definitely something that defendants are aware of or defendants' lawyers are aware of, that they may be able to get a decent deal just because they have to sort of process through a lot a lot of these cases, especially those misdemeanor cases. We're willing to risk our lives! Do you understand? And what has really stood out to Ryan Riley is the amazing response to the Capitol Hill riots and the small army of digital detectives that has helped law enforcement bring hundreds of the rioters to justice. And who exactly are these digital sleuths? Comes from a wide array of backgrounds, people from all over the country. And in fact, there are people overseas involved in this, American and otherwise. Um, I think that, you know, the common thread here is that people were basically just really outraged by what happened on January 6th. And we're sort of frustrated in those initial days that basically that no one was arrested there because, you know, we now know how overwhelmed police were. And we've seen those videos of just how violent this was. But I think in those early days, there was the sense of what are the police doing? Why didn't they arrest them? You know, in reality, they just didn't have the manpower. We didn't know about some of the worst violent scenes in those initial days. I think we've gotten a more a fuller picture of that as the months have gone on. Um, but I think that was really what this was about, was sort of holding both the people who attacked the Capitol accountable and holding law enforcement accountable and making sure that charges were brought against people who were on camera committing violence, because that was so many of these people just bragged about this openly online. There's a lot tougher cases that some of those sleuths have put together, but a lot of this just people, you know, documented their own criminal activity. So it wasn't that tough to actually put things together and uh, and build a case against someone. But the people who are working on this are really from all over the country, from all walks of life, um, and have dedicated you know, countless hours of their, their lives, lives to this. Uh, and the age ranges go from young to old. The technological skills also sort of span uh, across, um, across the field because you have some people who have, you know, sort of rudimentary um, or just really good Facebook sleuths, for example, and are doing sort of basic things. And then you have people who are, you know, developing software to sort of 
mix all this together and facial using facial recognition and technology and using really uh, technologically developed skills and applying that to this massive investigation. And it turns out even dating apps helped with this. Dating apps, yes. There's also a young woman who I spoke with who uh, was living in D.C. and was actually living near one of the hotels where a lot of Trump supporters were staying. Um, And as they sort of came back from the Capitol, she was sitting there wondering how she could participate in some capacity and and went on to Bumble um, and sort of changed some things around about her profile and then uh, ultimately ended up talking to about 12 different men three of whom admitted they were on the Capitol grounds and one of whom, as it turned out, had assaulted officers with a metal whip and actually pepper sprayed them uh, when he was at the Capitol and was talking about, you know, being on the front lines and bragging about his presence there. So she was able to sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> talk to him and get him to sort of spill his guts, which was quite remarkable. Um, and then ultimately turned that information into the FBI. And of all of the defendants Ryan Riley has covered over the past year, three cases stand out as the most memorable. You know, Robert Scott Palmer, because he got the longest sentence that we've seen so far um, in connection with the Capitol attack. Uh, Danny Rodriguez, I think because his video came out and we ultimately saw him sort of confess to the FBI and talk about how he got to that point and how he was radicalized. And I think that's a really fascinating thing to sort of watch that unfold and just, you know, watch him sort of spill his guts. Because as we've seen this countering narrative and conspiracy theories about what actually happened on January 6th build up, it's important to sort of air out what actually happened that day and have it, you know, sort of straight from the horse's mouth. You have a Trump supporter saying exactly what happened and how he was radicalized and what he believed. And I think that that's of tremendous value to the public because that was one of the worst attacks that we saw that day, uh, which was um, Danny Rodriguez driving a stun gun into the neck of uh, D.C. Metropolitan Police Officer Michael Fanone, who uh, testified before Congress over the summer. Mike, stay in there, buddy. Mike, it's Jimmy. I'm here. Jacob Chansley is better known as the QAnon shaman. Uh, He was the guy who was sort of in the famous photos, walking around with uh, horns and a a vest and uh, most of his chest exposed, uh, carrying a large uh, sort of part of his costume, but it was was a weapon. Um, And he was on, actually entered into the, the Senate chamber, took the seat where Mike Pence had occupied just, you know, moments earlier, uh, left a threatening note for Mike Pence. Um, And his case was interesting because it's one of the most serious penalties we've seen in a case that doesn't involve direct violence. Uh, There's no evidence Jacob Chansley actually, you know, shoved an officer or committed any violent acts that day. Uh, But he got one of the harshest penalties we've seen thus far. And part of the argument that uh, the prosecutors made to the judge was that he had made himself the poster boy of, of this movement. Uh, and that he needed, especially they argued in this case, there was a need for to demonstrate to the public the consequences of taking part in, in this type of action. So I think that that's part of what we saw here, um, in addition to the fact that he went in you know, to the Capitol, he went in, he got the he got felony charges because he went into the actual Senate chamber uh, and he was carrying that weapon, which also could potentially was also used by prosecutors to suggest the need for um, a more stringent sentence than we've seen for other defendants. The HuffPost's Ryan Riley is now working on a book on these insurrection hunters. 
But he says the story of this investigation is still being written. And what about those who helped encourage or organize the rioters? What consequences have they faced in the year since? We're talking those from extremist organizations who helped plan the violence and the political leaders who helped fan the flames. What happens to them? I, I don't know, to be honest. Julian Zelizer is a professor of history at Princeton University. You know, the question of accountability is a big one. And there's the question of accountability in terms of did not only the persons involved in that day and the violence that took place, but uh, also just in the month-long lead-up challenging the election and, and trying to find ways to overturn uh, what had happened, which we keep getting more evidence of, does Congress or the Department of Justice hold people accountable? And we don't know. I mean, some people who participate in the events are already in, in legal trouble, obviously, but clear it's much broader uh, than the handful of people right now um, who have who have faced consequences. Then there's accountability of, of the Republican Party that many observers will think is necessary, meaning does the party at some level say this can't be part of what Republican politics is about and not just dismiss it, but show in, in clear ways that they're distancing themselves uh, and separating themselves from everyone who is involved. And so you have accountability. And then the question is, are there reforms? Uh, you know, part of how this happened, uh, again, not just the events of January 6th, but all the efforts to really play around with the election results showed many weaknesses in our system, which in some ways have become worse since January 6th. And um, will there be reforms to make sure this, this can't happen? And right now, the verdict's out on both fronts. I, I can't tell you where this is going, but I think in the first year, you would have hoped a year out of this, we would have been a lot farther in correcting January 6th rather than continuing just to debate, you know, what will happen. And we got a similar sentiment from CBS News chief political analyst, John Dickerson, who told Connect the Dots. The contributing factors that led to the attack of January 6th, those contributing factors are still alive and well. Um, the demonization of the opposition, the um, dehumanization of um, people on the other side. Uh, it, it's easier to attack them if they are not considered human. Um, and the making up of facts um, or making up of reality opposite and different from the facts, that's all still very much in play. Those were the forces that led to January 6th, um, and they are still around now uh, for us to wrestle with. Which is why Princeton's Julian Zelizer says the history of January 6th is most definitely still being written. It's one of those moments. It's not simply a question of how will we remember it or how will it be interpreted, but the stakes are pretty high. I think if, if we don't uh, have a history that looks at this as, as something really wrong and, and a moment where uh, the democracy has to correct itself, then we have a problem because... Uh, that was just the beginning, and it created a foundation for this to happen again or worse. And uh, if uh, the history transpires and we correct it, uh, the parties correct it, the system is corrected, and, and that is much harder to do again, um, then we'll be in a better place. So the stakes, I think, are just enormous on uh, where this all goes. This week's episode of Connect the Dots was written by Tim Scheldt, Dempsey Palat, and me. It was edited by Dempsey Palat and Mallory Samara. 
Assistance from Sydney Fishman and Lauren Berry. The executive producer of Connect the Dots is Mallory Samara. From the studios of WCBS News Radio 880 in New York, I'm Linda Lopez. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 